I'm here today with Greg Owen Boger and Dale Ludwig. I got it wrong. It's Ludwig. Sorry. How are you both? <laughs> I was concentrating so much on getting Boger Great. right that I got that I messed up the easier one. How how are you, uh, Dale and Greg? Great. great, doing great. Thanks for asking. Well, thanks very much for being on this podcast, and you, we're going to talk about what I think is a really, really interesting subject because it's it's so hard to pin down, but so important. And that's how do we how do we teach leaders about executive presence? How do we help them get executive presence? So do you, let's start off by defining that because really it's such a, a sort of a vague term, and I guess we all have slightly different understandings about what we mean by it. Yeah, I completely agree, John. This is Greg. Um, several years ago, we started doing some research on on what exactly is executive presence because our clients were looking to improve the executive presence of their up and coming leaders and. I just I just couldn't get my head around it because I was thinking, well, it's charisma, it's gravitas, it's it's owning a room, it's it's being well dressed, but there's got to be something more. So um, I started digging in and doing some research, and I landed um, just within the last year or two on a book that it was written by Suzanne Bates. It's called All the Leader You Can Be, and finally I was able to start to really understand what is executive presence. And the beauty of Suzanne's work, well, a couple of things. First of all, she's a woman and she's she's coming at it from a female executive's point of view. And I, and I think that's brilliant because it would be very easy to assume that only men would have executive presence. And obviously that is just not true. And so the other piece of the brilliance is she breaks the the whole thing down into three big buckets, one being a person's character. And she talks about the character as this is who, just who you are. It's inherently part of, of who you are. It's, it, it starts in childhood. The other one is what is the substance of, of your character? In other words, the, the cognitive ability and, and also emotional intelligence plays, plays a part there, your composure, uh, the confidence that you exude. And then, of course, she, the third bucket is style. So that's in peer, appearance, of course. Uh, how intentional are you with your communication? How assertive are you? Are you appropriately assertive or not? And in, in those three buckets, then she breaks it down into several more facets. What, what's interesting to me is that the, of each of these facets, let's take, oh, let's, let, let's take humility as, as an example. Humility falls into the character bucket. And, and when we think about the word humility, we can, we can think, yeah, a someone who has executive presence has a certain amount of humility about them, and, and that is a strength. However, it can go too far as well, and you can be so humble that you you lose the assertiveness uh, that you might bring into a, a business meeting or a business interaction. So when you break it down into those those three buckets it all of a sudden becomes coachable and i went aha now i f i think i've i've got my head around how do we help executive uh, polish what they currently have or or improve upon what maybe they don't have maybe maybe they are are not exercising restraint because restraint is is one of those facets um, restraint meaning you know when you are in the a heated discussion uh, when when the, the the heat is just turned up really high are you able to restrain your emotions and 
come at the conversation in a uh, a more measured professional way or do you you know rely on your knee-jerk reactions and just fly off the handle so those then become coachable things that that we can actually work on in our workshops that's a really interesting uh, answer because you said there as well it, it's a lot of people think it's those things like being able to fill the room or the communication thing and i guess those are things that all fit in the style bucket is that right um golly i yes i would say so mm -hmm. and 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 that is only one part of it, it that, that's, i was going to say the style of stuff i can imagine being easier to coach but the the character and substance thing seems quite a, a lot more intangible so go on sorry you're going to say something <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I absolutely agree. It becomes intangible. And in the work that we do, uh, n not all of the facets would we be able to touch as communication experts. But communication certainly touches many, many of the facets. And there are we can touch elements of all three of those buckets that Suzanne Bates talks about. And you were saying that you did some research on this. Do you want to, is there any, can you just expand on that slightly in terms of what, what you've done in terms of researching this subject? And, and Dale, and Dale, please just you know jump in if you have anything oh, to I add will. As, as we're going I along. I will. Please don't expect to be asked. Politeness is not one of my <laughs> top strengths. I don't know which one would that go in the character bucket. I'm not sure. <laughs> so well, Dale, I, do you want to talk about that? I will jump in. Yes, because the nice thing about the Bates approach to this is that she places the qualities of a of someone who has executive presence on a on a continuum, and they are not simply simple goals that everybody needs to reach in the same sort of way. If she seems to understand that everybody is unique and will improve and become more, develop their presence in a way that's individual to them. And that's really important for our work as well as communication trainers, because so many times people come to us with, I guess, I, we just call them rules or an outside-in approach, meaning you must behave this way and everyone must behave this way. And we, when we run into that in, their, in the training and coaching that we do, we always try to pull that back a little bit and say, well, that may be right for you, but it may not be right for you. So it's, it's help, helping people think about themselves, their own strengths, their own weaknesses, and, and give them a real practical way to, to improve. Because it, it can be overwhelming if you assume that you have to, you know, tick off six different characteristics in, in a meeting in order to have executive presence. Yeah, that would be quite difficult. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just building on that, I think that authenticity is absolutely uh, critical into to working with an executive and and building their their executive presence because it has to come from the genuine human being that they are. So, when when people take a rules based approach to communication training or executive presence training, it just simply doesn't work. We have to start with the authentic person that they are and and build from there. And you were saying, I asked you about the research because I know that you've done some research around this. Do you want to just quickly give us um, a bit of a background on that? Sure. Well, I have to say that once I once I found Suzanne Bates' book, I really stopped the the research because I thought this is this is absolutely perfect. Someone's already uh, done really, it. Exactly. I don't need to do right. this this anymore. Right. I think the the twist that we have on it is that Suzanne does talk about communication as being a part of exhibiting executive presence, but we focus exclusively on the communication piece. And so in, in 
sort of dissecting the work that Suzanne did, we could then take a look at, oh, let's say intentionality uh, as an example. That's That in, intentionality falls into the style bucket. How intentional are you when you step into a meeting? Are, are you prepared? Are you ready for whatever comes your way once the meeting starts? And are you, you know, are you leading with with the guiding star, you know, are, if you're making a recommendation to senior leadership, are you coming in being absolutely intentional with what you are trying to accomplish? Or the reverse of that would be, are you just stepping into the room and winging it and, and hoping for the best? So that then, the intentionality about your communication becomes something that we absolutely can coach. So getting back to your question about the research, we just had to dissect Suzanne's work and figure out which of these does communication touch and how then can we talk with an individual and coach them on that particular piece. The, the Suzanne Bates approach breaks it down into these three buckets and then these three buckets break down more. So maybe we can explore that a little bit more in a second. I was just thinking that you mentioned also about having guiding principles when yes. you're approaching this kind of thing. So. Let, let's hit those first, and then we'll go back to go in a bit more depth about what's inside these Suzanne Bates's buckets. <laughs> Sounds awful, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> well, Dale, I've been doing all the talking. Why don't Why don't you take the guiding okay. principles? Well, let me take the the first one, the most fundamental principle that, that guides our work, and that is that when you're in a business communication situation, you are in a that process is an orderly conversation, and we've we've built our our, our business on that notion because it helps us get at the idea that a meeting, a presentation, a training session you may be delivering, all of those things must essentially be a conversation between you and the people that you're, you're talking to. And people understand that, I think, in a real fundamental way, but they, have, they struggle to figure out what that means in terms of how they prepare for it and, and how they judge their success during it. And I think that's crucial as well. So these things are essentially conversations, but they also have to get work done, which means, so that means there has to be some order and some structure. And that's similar to what Greg was just talking about with intentionality. So if we consider, let's take a presentation, if we consider that to be an orderly conversation, it means that you need to approach the preparation process in such a way that you're not scripting yourself, you're not trying to be perfect you're not trying to communicate plan in advance exactly what you want to say and how you want to say it because that takes that undermines the fact that it's a conversation so fundamentally people need to figure out how they respond to the tension between the order and the conversation so that they will know where to focus their energy greg mentioned too a minute ago do you just go into a, a meeting and wing it? And some people might do that, and what they're losing is the order and the focus that the process needs. But on the other hand, if you are a perfectionist or many times new leaders or, or people new to their jobs or responsibilities tend to err on the side of assuming there can be much more structure to the process than there can actually be. And so they are pushing the process too far toward the orderly part of it. So it's once people understand that that's the fundamental tension involved in the communication that they're involved with, we can start to help them take apart how they react to that tension and give them some real practical advice. So for one person in a workshop, for example, we might say, you've got to give up the idea that you can script yourself. That is getting in your way. Or somebody else sitting right next to that person, we might say, okay, 
let's talk about how you're going to frame up this conversation because you are all over the place and you're losing people. So it's that sort of process that we take people through. And the, the principle that this is an orderly conversation helps us do that. Greg, you want to talk about the next one or add anything to that? Sure. Um, I'm happy to talk about the second one. So the, the second guiding principle of our work actually used to be the tagline for Turpin Communication. It was find your focus, be yourself, only better. And we'd, we'd mentioned authenticity earlier, and, and really that's what we're getting at when we think about find your focus, be yourself, only better. And when we introduce this in our workshops, we always start with the be yourself, the authenticity piece, because so many times people will say, you know, the the CEO of our organization is just such a dynamic speaker. I want to be like her. Or we hear a lot of times, Oprah Winfrey is just so so wonderful. I, I wish I could just be like her. And and while it's it's wonderful and and important to identify people who you you aspire to, it has to start with the the authenticity, the genuineness of who you are as an individual. And then of course the only better part is the more buttoned down, the more professional, uh, someone who is exuding executive presence all the time. Now, in order for any of that to come into focus for an individual, though, they need to be focused. They need to understand what is it for me if I'm feeling nervous, out of sorts, the stakes are high, I'm, I'm sort of freaking out here. What is it for me that gets me focused? So in the workshops that we do, we spend a lot of time working through what exactly is it that helps somebody find their focus, be themselves, only better. And it really comes down to what we call engagement. And it's easy to misunderstand the word engagement. We're not talking about being engaging, and we're not talking about employee engagement. We're talking about what is it that gets you focused and really in the moment so as a communicator, you can think on your feet and be intentional about how you approach the your portion of the meeting or the presentation or the training session that you're in. So that is the second guiding principle. Find your focus, be yourself only better. The third guiding principle, Dale, I always like the way you talk about this, so I'll turn that back over to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Craig. <laughs> the, the, I've got the a feeling there's some kind of in-joke going on there that I'm, I'm <laughs> no, not aware of. No, I don't believe Greg has ever said I like the way you explain that. Would you please take it? So I'm, I'm just shocked. The third one is, and this is the last one that we that we developed, and that is that every every bit of communication that you're involved in at work in, succeeds on two levels. And one of those levels is, of course, reaching the goal that you're setting out to reach. If you're talking to a client trying to sell them something, you know, do they buy it? Do they agree? Uh, if you're training, do people understand? And can they use the information you're training them on? So there's always that very practical level involved in the process. But the second level of success, which we call the process goal, is focused on how well you manage the conversation and how much trust you earn during that conversation, whether or not you make the process as easy as possible for the people in the room. Because when well, we were just with a client yesterday and they said, all we do is have meetings here. That's all we do. And all day long, I can't get any work done. It's a meeting. It's a meeting. It's a meeting. And for in that situation, we would say, all right, these meetings are going to happen. You want to be the kind of person who's meeting someone wants to attend. You, you want to have 
a sense of how the process needs to flow. You want to make sure that the the conversation goes in an efficient, relevant direction without losing the fact that it must be a conversation and you need people to, to participate in it. And, and actually, one of the people we worked with yesterday, I don't know, Greg, if you were in the room, he said, you know, I refused four meeting invitations from this person at work because there was no agenda attached to the to the meeting invitation. And finally, the, the woman called him and said, why do you keep refusing my invitations? And he said, well, I don't know what we're doing. I'm not coming if we don't, if I don't know what we're doing. And that she, that woman was missing the process goals. She wasn't promising relevance and focus and efficiency for that meeting, even in the invitation. So I think that's, that's important. If you can be the kind of person who can run a really good meeting and have a good conversation, you're developing your executive presence. And I think that going back to what Greg was saying about being yourself, so many times it struck me again yesterday in the, in the class because we had very experienced people in the room and we were focusing on running effective meetings. And I thought, you know, all we're really doing here is unlocking what people know needs to happen in a meeting. They, they are able to to do it once you clear away the concerns that they have that aren't very relevant for them and they are not worrying about the wrong things. And I think that's that's crucial to the work that we do because I, once you reach the point where you're thinking about executive presence, you're already pretty good at your job. And so it's not that people are incapable of, of if you go back to the, what I was just talking about, incapable of reaching the goal of the meeting. They, they can, they just need to do it better. And they need to make the people they work with feel good about the process. And I, that's, I always think that by, you know, by the end of a workshop, I usually am doing very little of the feedback. The other people in the room are have a vocabulary, have a way of looking at the process that they can they can do it themselves because it's it's sort of natural. It's 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 there. It just needs to be simplified. And you know, Dale, what struck me right as you were talking there is that it's really about being mindful and being respectful of of all of the people that are in the meeting or who are about to attend the meeting. And then that leads to the nurturing of relationships. And that leads to career advancement. And so I always, <laughs> I like to, to, to talk about that guy. And, you know, John, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, that guy who, who shows up to the meetings ill-prepared, wastes people's times, just chews through every, every bit of goodwill that other people have for them. That guy is not necessarily going to advance, we would hope, in his career until he re- realizes that the, the act of attending a meeting and being present in a meeting is really critical to a success. And then that leads me to, we've been doing a lot of, of work recently around the, the notion that executive presence and the ability to lead an effective meeting or presentation, uh, it, it, it's not just the, the lead facilitator's responsibility to make that environment a positive environment. Everybody who's in that room has a responsibility. So executive presence isn't just exhibited when when you are the leader of the, the communication event. Your executive presence is noticed the instant that you walk in the door. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand that. And something happened right before the holidays that has, I, I've just, I've been really obsessed with with how this took place. But anyway, a senior leader at one of the organizations we work with called us up at the last minute and said, 
I, I'm trying to course correct this really big team of about 50 people. About 10 of them are internal and the rest of them are external. This was marketing. So these, all these external people were high level agency people. And there were lots of different agencies uh, working on these iconic brands. And she said, I, I don't know how to help them work better together because they all show up to these brainstorming sessions. They do their piece, they sort of beat their chest, and then they sit back and don't pay attention. So what happens then is everybody has these great ideas, but they're not building on one another. We're not, we're not building something greater than the sum of the parts. And is there a way that we can do that? And, and I said, well, well, let's, let's see. And I, I talked with her about this, this notion that everybody in the room needs to show up and, and, and and the meetings that she's having, I mean, imagine how expensive those meetings are with that many people of that level. And, you know, she's just chewing through budget um, with, with people exhibiting naughty behavior. And so she had this big team meeting coming up right before the holidays. And she said, I'm going to give you two hours and let's try to fix this. So she had the first two hours where she was working through some cultural change stuff. And I was sitting in the back of the room observing and Many of the people were paying attention. There's no doubt about it. But I would say more than half of them were on their devices. Now, some of them looked like they may have been taking notes, but I was sitting in the back and I could see the websites that they were on and whatnot. So not all of them were taking notes. So I thought, well, here's our problem. Nobody's, a lot of these people just are not present in this moment with, with the, the leader of the, the meeting. So the, the time came for me to, to talk. And I brought this up that notion that everybody should be fully present 100%. And it was as if these folks had never had that thought before. They, they were coming at the, these meetings as if their only role or when they were being observed was to, you know, do their dog and pony portion of it. And what was so interesting is I talked for two hours about this and our guiding principles and a handful of other things around communication. And there were only two people in that entire room of 50 people that I noticed that picked up their device at all. So that tells me they are absolutely capable of showing up and being present. But a lot of people just don't realize that that's part of their responsibilities. And sometimes it's just a case of articulating it, just saying it. Right. Exactly. calling them out on it. Yeah. Right. And what's so funny is, you know, in a lot of conference rooms across the across the the world, there are these rules of attending meetings, right? And that are posted on the walls and probably they're framed. And a lot of them <laughs> are show up, turn off your devices, don't be late. And and while those things are are necessary, it never really gets to the heart of really showing up and being present. Yeah, and it's interesting because so many times the the people running a meeting or the people delivering a presentation assume that it is all about the content that, to be discussed or the content to be presented. And of course, it's not because if you want interaction and feedback and, and, and give and take during this process, it's a that's a, it's about that, not just about what's being talked about. And so, for in all situations that we're in, we always say to people, you don't assume that everybody in this room wants to listen to what you have to say. Don't, don't assume that they are focused and ready to go. And don't assume they know what you expect from them. And so I think when we, when we talk about succeeding on a process level with the process goal I was talking about a, a minute ago, it's about, as you were saying, John, calling them out, saying, this is what I expect from you. This is what I want to do. And realize that it's 
it's about laying the foundation, or as I said before, the framework for what needs to happen. And that's not about the content. It's about the process that you're engaged in right now. And that's a tough thing for people to realize sometimes because they just are so overwhelmed with what they are there to do. And they don't think about how they want to do it or what, how, they, how it's their responsibility to help people do that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a really important point and a great observation, I think, because you're absolutely right. So many people are focused on the goal and that's what you're, su- you're right. supposed to achieve. That, that as right. you say, the, 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 the process about how you do that does get overlooked. And, and I thought, and, and I guess this is within process, but I thought you were going to say in that third point is there's, there's always a relationship angle. Whenever you communicate with somebody else, there's always a, you are always building or I guess whatever the opposite of building is. I think destroying is a destroying. bit too strong. <laughs> it's a bit too strong, it feels a little bit. But you're, you're always either having a positive or negative impact on that uh, on that relationship right. one way or another. Every single interaction, whether it's verbal or right. not. And, that is and exactly I, right. I guess that's part of what you're calling process as well. You're putting it within there. Yeah, it's the it's the last bullet under that heading. It's <laughs> nurture relationships. Don't don't lose the goodwill that you have with the people that you're working with. I think it's recognizing that every single interaction is one of those, especially as you go higher up, because you get mm-hmm. you will tend to get less exposure to every single individual, and mm-hmm. they will, um, I guess, overstate the importance of every passing micro behavior of yours. So it becomes increasingly important to kind of have mindful approach to the to the process and to that nurturing right. relationships. Yeah, I think that's right. These three guiding principles that you that you mentioned. So these are three guiding principles of executive presence. Is that correct? Well, we would say that the three guiding principles of the work that we do. And so maybe we should talk about the work that we do. It might make a might help the, the listeners understand why we're talking about this today. But Turpin Communication is a communication training firm. So we really help people get untangled from their communication and help them be more effective and efficient in the work that they do. So that might mean helping people be more effective presenters or meeting facilitators or trainers. And those are really the three primary buckets that we work with. And then when you layer executive presence into that, executive presence just becomes something that is embedded in all of the work that we do when the client wants us to embed it, that is. And it's about, well, actually, during the sales process, it's real common for us to talk about the distinction between skill awareness and skill development. And so much that is written about communication or leadership or executive presence has to do with skill awareness when they do talk about skills. You know, these are the things that you, the skills that you need to have. And that only goes so far, and it can sometimes get in the way of actually developing the skills that are necessary for an individual to to use. So the it gets, I always think, well, it's easy to talk about it and say, well, this is what a leader looks like, this is what a leader does. But to actually take an individual, look at where they are right now, and help them take the next step toward developing their leadership is much more complicated because it, it involves a lot of nuance and involves a lot of how their feelings about it because one thing people need to be aware of is what it feels like to adapt or to flex to you know try things that are a little outside of what comes absolutely naturally and they need to we often i find myself saying a lot 
How did that feel? Okay. It felt that way, but it did not come across that way. So go watch your videotape and you'll see what I'm talking about. So it's a matter of, of helping them know themselves and manage themselves in the moment. Right. And, and these three things you've, you've picked out with, with this. I, I think these are really interesting. I just want to go back over them very quickly. We won't go in great depth. But this idea that, that you initially um, talked about, Dale, was around this idea, mm-hmm. the orderly communication. So this right. sort of tension between structure and a chaos again it's not quite the right word but, but the, no non-structure spontaneity that's a much better word much much better word which is which is re- reflects a lot of things you know they talk about in organizations the structure between kind of integration and differentiation and all these kind of stuff um i think you know complexity studies complexity science they talk about very similar things but it's very interesting that, that that's those same kind of quite theoretical macro principles are applied in this micro intervention of a conversation and and like this conversation we were talking beforehand before we started recording like how much structure do you need me to impose so that we can get through this properly or how much of just a flowing conversation does it need to be before that becomes unbearable for the listener it's a very interesting point about needing to have a certain amount of structure but also needing to have a certain amount of spontaneity (laughs) so i really liked that one and then you talked about this focus um was it find your focus be yourself but better. And that, that reminded me of, there was, um, is it Jones and Goffey who wrote, why would only be led by you? And they have a, a mantra in there, which is something like be yourself more, but with skill, which I always really mm-hmm. liked. And that, that's very similar. Yeah. It's a very similar very point, similar. except you've got the point about focus. And that's interesting. When I, when I, when you first said it, I thought you were going to talk about like your vision or something like that, your personal values or mission or something, but you were meaning it literally as in get into focus concentrate and that's such an important point these days because people's attention spanning mine included just seem to be so much less good <laughs> i can't find my right. words today but they just seem to have a much a much worse a, a much more trouble trying to focus exactly and it's interesting you mentioned that because the impact of somebody being unfocused is huge because it kind of acts as a proxy for so many things if we somebody see somebody who isn't focused we will make an enormous number of assumptions about their intelligence, their ability, their commitment, and lots and lots of other things. And before you know it, they'll kind of have horns on their heads from our point of view and we'll dis- yeah. discount anything that they might be saying in the future. Absolutely. And I, but I think it goes also bigger than that because, well, well let's talk about manufacturing. Um, inefficiencies in the manufacturing process are are absolutely addressed. The organizations squeeze every ounce of inefficiency out of the manufacturing process because it saves on on resources, right? And and makes more money. But with ineffective communication, a lot of organizations just sort of shrug their shoulders and think, well, that's the cost of doing business. So you get a bunch of unfocused people in a room and think about the amount of money just in salaries alone that that that's being spent on the ineffectiveness of that particular communication interaction it's it's astounding so yes it is on the individual level level but it's also on the organizational level where it's really frustrating well i mean of course an organization in this sense is just a a sum of the individuals involved in this regard yep right right i was going to move on to just i wanted to look again at these um different buckets of character substance and style with great respect to Suzanne Bates, who's provided this structure and the content. Is that 
can we just go through these? Can you just give us a quick overview of what we, what we're talking about when we say character, and maybe pick out a couple of examples about sure. what's in that and and how you would then either use talk about those within a training environment or a coaching environment. Absolutely. Let's start with, let's start with character. Yeah. So character, we she would define it as the traits that are foundational to who we are and you know, because even stemming from childhood. And when we have a high degree of character, we build trust among others. So trust plays a really important role here in character. So we had talked about how the second level of communication success, the, the, the managing the process of the communication event, the the degree of trust that people place in you to be efficient, to get the job done, plays a role there. So if we were coaching someone, we would capture them on video, either you know presenting information or running a meeting or what have you. And then that individual would review their video privately with me. And the the video would capture not only the individual speaking that I'm coaching, but also the individuals they're speaking with. So we're getting video of of everyone else's reaction to them. And so we would then look through the lens of trust as we're watching the video. Is that person building trust, nurturing trust? And you can see it in body language on other people. You can hear it in tone. You can hear it in the word choice. And so that would then be how we would coach an individual on on trustworthiness, which is in the character bucket. Authenticity also belongs there in, in the character bucket as well. So we've got trust, and you, you talk about that. What about authenticity then? Could you give us an example about how you might talk about authenticity in a training environment? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's someone that we just worked with this week that would be a really good example. So not often do we get to work with an individual more than once because usually our our training interventions are you know a group of people we train them for a few days and off they go this particular organization allows individuals to come back to to another class to sort of take their skills to the next level so they have a baseline that is built in the first class and they come back for another one and build skills greater, greater from there so this one particular woman is youngish. Um, I'm going to guess probably early 30s. Severe nervousness, a, a a perfectionist. And the first time we worked with her, she she almost came across. This is I, this is going to sound really offensive to those who work in the airline industry, but she almost came across as a, 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 a flight attendant. Thank you, a flight attendant. In the in the sing-songy way that she was presenting her content, and the reason for that is because she was so rehearsed, so in her mind well prepared that she wasn't authentic at all. But she couldn't see that until she watched her video, and she was mortified when she saw how sing-songy, how rote she was coming across. And we talked a lot about that. And she says, I, I want to be real. I want to be genuine. I'm a real genuine human being. I'm sitting right here next to you. And yet I am so nervous when I'm speaking in front of groups that, that this is what comes out. And so through the coaching process of that first training session, we really had to back it up and really not even focus on the authenticity or the 
the uh, that sing-songy thing. We just needed to help her get comfortable in her own skin, standing up in front of a group of people. And that sounds like a really baby step. And for some people, it would be. But for this particular person, it it was a leap, huge leap. So we left her that from that very first training session, and I was feeling like, boy. I hope that we made some progress with her. Well, as it turns out, she came back for a workshop this week. And I didn't realize that it was her because I didn't recognize her name on the roster. And she walked in the room and I got really excited. I thought, oh boy, I, I wonder what has been accomplished in the, the months that have you know taken, pl- uh, the, the months that have passed since we worked with her the first time. And she had zero nervousness this time and it was truly amazing she was authentic her i mean she's a really smart person she's a, she's pretty pretty uh, high in the organization has an incredibly important job right. and might be part of the nervousness because she is so young yeah for sure and then probably feeling a little bit inadequate because of her age but she came through with confidence clarity it was truly amazing. So now she had she had she had wrestled with the nervousness and the authenticity. She was there. Now in this workshop this week, it was all about just building her skills and making sure that she could organize her thoughts. She could handle the give and take of the the messiness of the conversation, the, the as you said earlier, the chaos of of the the meetings. And she's having really potentially conflict riddled conversations with with upper management and she was able to do that but it all started with helping her be herself get comfortable in her skin so that so that she could be more authentic and only better it's a really interesting example because it's uh, very individualized because none of the steps you would take are steps that you would have taken if you if i said you could you please teach an afternoon on authenticity Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It was the right answer for that person, but it isn't an off-the-shelf solution of here's how to be authentic. Right, right. Which which is, I guess, a lot of the tension that people always have when it comes to authentic leadership is, how can you tell me to adopt these stylistic behaviors at the same time as I remain true to who I am? Right. And I think it right. comes back to some of you in your second principle is, yeah, be yourself, but better. Yeah, but, right. but people don't understand what better means if if they're not focused themselves and and have some self-awareness. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's the importance of the coaching approach as opposed to a generic off-the-shelf approach. I think that's an interesting example. So, so we were talking about character there, and, and you were saying it's the, the personality, your ability to sort of generate that trust in people, to be authentic. You mentioned humility previously as well. What about substance? What's substance about? Yeah, so Suzanne Bates, she, she defines substance as situational behaviors and attitudes that build your credibility over time. So you can think about your wisdom, the confidence that you exude. And one of the words that she uses that I adore is resonance. And when I first started reading the, the pages about resonance, I, I wasn't actually sure what resonance meant. So she defines it as connecting one's ability to connect with others, be attentive, be attuned, be responsive to people's feelings and their motivations. And all of that leads to then having a deep alignment with people on a very personal, well, professional level. And it might be easy to think, well, resonance, how could you possibly coach resonance? 
but but we can because when we think about what does resonance look like w- in a meeting, for example, well, someone who possesses resonance has the ability to empathize with other others. It 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 they have the ability to make a connection with others and be able to communicate with them on their level. Now, an example of that would be we we work with a lot of people who are highly technical. So people in IT, science, you, you get the idea. And one of the challenges that people who are so highly technical have is that they they just can't make this content easily digestible to people who are not as highly technical as they are, right? It would be easy to say they aren't able to dumb it down, and that's not quite it. But you know, you have to be able to, to explain these concepts in a way that others understand. Well, that's resonance. It's about how can I take this person that I'm speaking with, their, their knowledge, and build upon it so they understand what I'm trying to get at with this highly technical information. So you can see that resonance actually plays a huge role in, in a business meeting. And it's it also resonance is about listening and being able to read other people. And so what does that look like? Well, listening, of course, is this elusive thing that so many of us are, are not very good at. And how do you train it and, and all of that? But you can think about reading reading the room right so a lot of people in our space a lot of our competitors would talk about eye contact as something that you want to have because you want to look like you have good eye contact and we would say let's turn that inside out and say eye contact is important because you have to make a connection with people and you have to read their responses and when you are able to read people's responses you're more likely to meet them where they are and that is resonance but if we, if we were to go into a training session and say, okay, folks, we're going to work on our resonance, it just it would be pointless. So you have to get at it from from another angle. Yeah, it's a it is a great word it, that captures an enormous amount of things. It really There's does. A hell of a it lot does. in there. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think too, going back, I want to just jump in and add a little bit to what what Greg just said. I think when we talk about when we define what engagement is in a in our workshop, so that they know how we're going to define the term. We always say someone who is engaged is focusing on the explanation that they are making, not just the information that they're delivering. And that looks like, you know, that's a very nice, easy to understand thing. But as it plays out with individuals, many times someone will be delivering information, explaining a, a slide, for example, and going through some some bunch, bunch of data. And it'll be pretty difficult to understand and not really connect with the audience. But when I pause that person and ask them the question, so what does that mean, video camera off? You get a completely different explanation of it because it is a response to a specific request for that information or, or my confusion and or inability to understand the technology. They, they immediately adapt to my perspective and explain it so that it makes sense to me. And that is resonance as well because you're, you're very aware of the people that you're dealing with and their response and you're able to take what you know and make it understandable for them. And it's that shift away from going back to that perfection idea. It is not the information that is driving this conversation. It's the, it's the explanation. It's the response you're getting from the people that are listening to you. And that's a tough shift to make consciously, but it's a natural one when you catch them 
<laughs> when you catch people doing that, it's always nice because you can say, all right, that's where you need to be with your your explanation of this data. It's a, it's a nice um, explanation of quite a lot of different things. Like you mentioned listening, you mentioned, well, you, mm-hmm. didn't mention, you didn't mention, but there are aspects of emotional intelligence and things like that in yeah. terms of uh, empathy and all those kind of things there. And, and as you were saying there, Dale, that ability to kind of sh- go to where you're, Go to where the other person is and engage them on their terms, right. I guess. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's a really nice sort of catch-all idea. I'm, I'm really going to get this book, you know. I, 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 as soon as this is finished, I'm getting on Amazon and I'm getting this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a lot I need to work on here. Um, what about style? That's the last thing. I suppose that's the one that's, that's kind of easiest to understand intuitively. It is. However, it it's as complex as the others, as it, as it happens. So... Suzanne Bates defines style as skill-based patterns. So we think of style as being the way somebody is dressed, but she talks about it more from the skill point of view. So skill-based patterns of engaging others and and getting things done. So one's appearance, that's the easy thing to to think about. You know, is is the suit pressed? Is the is it stylish? But there's also this sense of being fit, physically fit. That, that plays a role, but she doesn't spend a lot of time there. Where I would, would like, or what I would like to talk about is a sense of inclusiveness that she talks about. So inclusiveness as a way of expressing your style. <laughs> that is, that doesn't, it's not, it's not automatically, the, the connection isn't there, right? No, it's not obvious. Yeah, not, no, at, not all. at all. And so she talks about inclusiveness as being, a way of actively involving others and welcoming diverse points of view and encouraging people to express those points of view in a meeting. And so it's about being brave enough to ask for differing points of view and being brave enough to actually hear that and then do something with it and not immediately poo-pooing it, right? And just excluding it. So what does that look like in a meeting? Well, it's, again, back to listening actively, being patient, making sure that you're not just hearing from the extroverts, but you're also including the introverts. You're, You're asking the B players for their points of view, not just the A players. So it's a, it's about exclusivity, and it's it it. I mean, sorry, inclusivity. It's not necessarily giving everyone equal airtime, but it is creating the conditions for people to feel comfortable to, enough to chime into the conversation. Because when when a leader is not inclusive, and people are not comfortable speaking up in a meeting, that causes a lot of problems down the line because they will share their points of view, but they're just going to do it in the hallway or, you know, in private conversations. And then that leads to potentially a lot of conflict. So a leader then needs to be inclusive so that the differing points of view can be exposed and aired and discussed as a group. And so it creates a healthy environment. So would she call that safety as well? Is that a term she would use? Um, perhaps. Safety isn't a word that I have here in my notes. Uh, okay. But but absolutely, I, I do think that if she were on the phone, and, and we don't know, Suzanne, it's probably not fair for me to say this, but I would guess that she would say, yeah, safety is absolutely important here. As you say, because the word style, you wouldn't necessarily think of something like that. But as you said, it's sort of skill-based, what did you say, skill-based behaviors? Is that the, yes. mm-hmm. the right phrase? In which case, it's more or less anything that you can learn to do. So 
things like yes. being being inclusive is something that we do need to kind of be mindful of that most of us i guess some people are going to be more natural at it but just remember to bring in the people that aren't as you say as willing to speak or perhaps the people you don't get on so well with or you know don't want to hear from as much but that kind of right, inclusive right. approach is really important and we do have to be mindful about that because we all have biases and stuff so as you say they'll be saying it in the corridor anyway yep right yeah. right and it's a matter there's a there's a when we work with trainers and one of the questions we always get is what do you do with someone who is pushing back who doesn't want to be there who's who's not cooperating in the training that's taking place and they say, even with their eye contact, sometimes I only look at the people that look interested. The other people just freak me out. I, if they're if they have a frown on their face, I can't I can't deal with that. And we always say, you know, no, those are the people to go to. Get that person talking, and be, for two reasons: one, you want to know if they have concerns about what's what's happening in the room, because if they have them, probably many other people do as well. But it also gives you a, so much power. And it feels like you're giving up your power to, to, to ask for a pushback, but you're not. You're, you're actually developing it. You're strengthening it a lot because you, you're appearing fearless and interested and completely in charge of, of what's happening because you're open to the emotions or attitudes in the room. Yeah, so that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, was, um, I, I remember seeing, I think it was a stand-up comedian was saying that when it's going bad, the thing that you have to do is slow down, pause, take a drink of water. Because it makes you mm -hmm. feel more in charge of the room, whereas your natural tendency mm -hmm. will to feel the pressure, the stress, and therefore speed up to get over it. Yes, yes. But it's a totally counterintuitive thing to slow down, to have a glass of water, and suddenly you're back in charge. Right, because you, when you're drinking that water, you're thinking, you're you're making decisions about where to go next. It's 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 a good thing. It's just a display of confidence as well. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I would say it's it's it almost as connected to fight or flight as well. Yes, yes. So you know when back in the day when we were fighting, you know, the tiger, we we fear flee or we or we fight. And and there are, has been a lot written about it, but the resources of the brain just go into what Seth Godin would say the lizard brain, and and we lose our ability to think, and and it's just all about. Um, survival and so if we go back to that that comedian the survival is to speed up and get this thing over with but the fight reflex if you can re if you can do it is to slow down take that drink of water get your your wits about you so that you can move forward in a way that is going to be successful or you know you get the win you fight the tiger yeah good luck fighting a tiger greg i'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure you come off the winner in that one <laughs> Listen, this has been a really interesting conversation, hugely inspiring, because it really feels like executive presence. I know what it is now. There's lots of moving parts there that you can actually tangibly address. So I think it's been a really interesting conversation. I'm definitely going to get that book. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish? I just thank you for giving us the forum to talk about this. I think it's something that is so important, and it needs to be talked about a whole lot more. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for the really good questions. No, no, thank you. It's, it's really interesting to talk to you. And if anybody wants to know more about you, then your your profiles are on the Trainer Tools website and obviously links through there to Turbin Communications and everything. So thanks very much and yeah. hope to speak to you again. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you.